0: Act One of Alias Miss Sherlock by Arthur Lewis Tubbs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Alias Miss Sherlock. Cast of Characters as They Are First Heard to Speak.
1: Lily Ann. Help at the Farm. Read by Devorah Allen.
2: Aaron Flint. The Hired Man Read by Alan Mapstone
3: Mrs. Brewster from New York
4: Read by T.J. Burns Helen Brewster, her daughter Read by Jen Broda
5: Leonard Fillmore, a young country lawyer Read by Jeff Butterfield
6: Sarah Newcomb, sister of Mrs. Brewster Read by Abayi.
0: Dick Brewster,
7: read by David Purdy
0: Henson, a butler, read by Adrian Stevens.
5: Ralph Deering,
2: read by Matthew Reese.
5: Henry Markham, a detective, read by Todd. Officer Higgins.
0: Read by Wayne Cook.
6: Delphine. Read by J. Green VO.
0: Stage Directions, read by Michael Max. Synopsis Act one. Yard of Miss Newcomb's Farm, Brookville, New York, on an afternoon late in August. Act Two. The Home of Mrs. Brewster, New York City, two weeks later. Act Three. An Apartment, Uptown, New York. Two more days have elapsed. Act Four. Same as Act Two, three weeks later. Time of playing, two hours and a half. Costumes and Characteristics Lilian, Plain, rather severe-looking and bossy countrywoman of about forty. A likeable character, in spite of her brusqueness. In first act she wears calico or gingham dress with apron. Regular farm hired girl get-up, not untidy nor too neat. In fourth act, somewhat exaggerated going-away costume of a country bride, but by no means grotesque. Aram Flint Middle aged farmhand, quaint and comical, but not a caricature. In first act, baggy old trousers, dark shirt and suspenders, dusty boots or shoes, and large straw hat. Act four, rather conspicuous new suit, hat, etc, with brightly polished new shoes. Mrs. Brewster handsome, haughty woman of the society climber type, about 50 or 55, stately, with grey hair and attractive face. Elegant summer costume in first act. Afterwards, appropriate costumes, rich and attractive, with jewels, all a bit extravagant, but still in good taste. Helen Brewster. A girl of about 25, citified, and of beauty and charm, reflecting to a degree her mother's pompous manner, but still capable of inspiring admiration and, eventually, confidence and sympathy. Dainty dress with hat and parasol in Act I, later elegant house-dresses. Leonard Fillmore, about thirty, tall, well-built, good-looking, of a rather free off-hand manner, but genial and ingratiating. Just a slight trace of ruralism, but still a man of refinement and culture. Plain suits. Sarah Newcombe, a neat, prim, but attractive woman of forty-five or thereabouts, an old maid, but of the sweet mother-and-home variety. Not green, though ingenuous and just a bit country fied, in last three acts, on occasion assumes a bit more of greenness than is really natural to her. Act one plain summer dress. Acts two, three and four a little more dressy, but plain and appropriate. Dick Brewster, a handsome, boyish young man of about twenty two, shows some evidence of fast living but should inspire sympathy pity and belief in his innocence act 1 suit in good city style but with some signs of rough usage acts 2 and 3 same or similar but neater henson conventional type of english butler straight stiff pompous black suit not necessarily livery or evening clothes but appropriate to his position in city house of some social distinction ralph deering about fifty-five wealthy man of the world of rue type stout florid veneer of polish but showing his true nature on provocation very well dressed with stylish top coat stick etc henry markham stern KEEN-EYED MAN OF THIRTY-FIVE OR SO IN PLAIN BUSINESS SUIT OFFICER HIGGINS POLICE UNIFORM OR PLAIN DARK SUIT DELPHINE YOUNG WOMAN OF STERN FORBIDDING ASPECT PALE, LIGHT EYES, VERY BLACK HAIR, SOMEWHAT INCONGRUOUS WITH HER NATURAL COLOURING SPEAKS WITH ASSUMED BUT EXCELLENT FRENCH ACCENT Acts three, PLAIN BLACK COSTUME not that of the conventional stage maid. Hair plainly combed with no cap. Act four. Plain street dress with wraps, hat, and veil. Alias Miss Sherlock. Act one. Scene. The yard of a comfortable farm residence in the northeastern part of New York State. The house, right is an ancient but fine and well-preserved structure of the old homestead type. There is a porch, windows with vines, plants, etc. Across back of stage, a fence with open gate centre. At left, a small arbour or summer-house on the edge of an orchard. At back, a road leading to right and left. Beyond fence and on flat, the glimpse of rolling fields, a church spire, and the roofs of a few houses scattered in the distance. It is the afternoon of a day in the latter part of August. At rise, Aaron Flint is heard whistling, off left upper entrance. Mrs Brewster is discovered in hammock or chair, in arbour left, asleep, her book fallen to the ground. Enter Aaron Flint, left upper entrance beyond fence, to gate centre. Almost at same moment, Lilian appears on Porch of House. Aaron carries several letters, sealed, addressed and stamped. A newspaper or two, and a good-sized parcels-post package of books, addressed. Lilian comes down to right centre.
1: That the mail, Aaron? Let's see. Quite a lot, ain't they?
0: She takes letters from him.
2: Should say they was. Most all for Mrs. Brewster, though, and a letter for her daughter. Seems to me tain't nothing but them around here one way or another. I wonder how much longer they're going to stay.
1: Land, I don't know. Looks like we got them saddled on to us for life. Been here since June and here tis most September.
0: She is closely inspecting the letters.
2: "'Tis a wonder to me Miss Newcomb don't get tired of boardin' em for nothin', and havin' em puttin' on such airs and all, even if they are her own sister and niece. All fired cheeky, I call it.
1: "'Well, you know her. Easy as all get-out. Guess I'm the one to do most of the kickin' when you come right down to it. All the extra work they make with coffee took up to their rooms at nine in the mornin', luncheon as they call it, about half-past one, and dinner.' Full meal, mind you, at seven at night, when it's most time for sensible folks to be going to bed. Keeps me up all hours. I must say I'm getting pretty tired of it.
2: I guess you be, and no wonder. But, as you say, Miss Newcomb's that easy, she wouldn't say a word, even if they stayed till kingdom come. If there ever was a saint on Earth, she's one.
1: Well, even saints get imposed on. But I suppose being saints, it's up to them not to find any fault, even when it's rubbed in. For my part, I think even a saint ought to have a little gumption. That's more books for her.
2: Yep. Some more of them Sherlock Holmes detective stories she's always reading, I reckon. Must be four or five here from the heft of the bundle.
1: Well, it beats all the amount of that trash she does read. Them terrible yarns all about murders and mysteries. Land, I should think she'd be so full of murder clues and everything that she couldn't sleep nights. They'd give me the creeps if I was to read them the way she does.
2: Oh, I don't know. I sort of like them myself. Miss Newcomb lent me a few, and they certainly are hummers. I sure would like to be one of them detectives they tell about, with all the excitement they have tracing up murderers and such.
1: Yes, a pretty detective you'd make. You'd better be getting along detecting a few chores instead of standing here talking murder clues. Here, I'll take that bundle in the house with these letters.
0: She takes package. They do not notice Mrs Brewster, who is still asleep. Aaron gets closer to Lilian, making up to her. She seems unconscious of his intention, about to go to porch. He detains her.
2: Say, Lilian, what you gonna do after supper?
1: Wash your dishes, I suppose, as usual. Dinner, I guess you mean, though. And a pile of dishes it makes, too. Makes me sick.
2: I say, Lilian, if if I wipe em then we all go and take a walk? Walk?
1: Land, I feel more like walking a bed than anywhere else once I get through. What do I want to take a walk for?
2: Well, I thought maybe you and me just go for a little stroll, if you like, seeing as it's moonlight and all. At any rate, looks like it's going to be a nice evening.
1: I declare, Aaron Flint, you're old enough to have more sense. Getting sentimental at your age. How many times have I told
2: you? Hmm, well, you know the old saying, them that loves last loves best. So I guess it ain't too late for you and me.
0: He attempts to kiss her. She gives him a playful slap and starts to go up steps. Mrs. Brewster wakes up and sees them. They pause, turning as she speaks. Mrs. Brewster, rising, coming towards centre.
3: Perhaps when you have finished your most unbecoming behaviour, you will inform me whether any of those letters are for me?
0: Aaron, with an awkward bow of apology...
2: Yes, ma'am, several of them.
0: Lillian, looking over letters, quite unperturbed.
1: I guess some of these are for you if your name's Miss Brewster.
0: Holds out letters. Aaron. left exit. Mrs. Brewster, as she takes letters.
1: Thanks. They look mostly like bills, ma'am, seems to me.
3: You are entirely too familiar for a servant. I shall speak to my sister about it. Huh,
1: I ain't afraid of anything you'll say to Miss Newcombe about me. I guess I ain't lived with her the past fourteen years without her knowing me well enough to not let anything you could say count, even if you are her own sister, and from the city. I should think, the way you've been staying here all summer, you and your daughter, and been waited on and everything without paying a cent for it, that you wouldn't have so very much to say. That's my opinion, if I was to express it.
0: Lillian is on porch in a huff. Mrs. Brewster has crossed back to left, near seat, almost overcome by her indignation.
3: Ah! Oh, this is more than I can be expected to stand. Well, then you can sit
1: down to it. There's a seat right behind you.
0: Mrs. Brewster sinks into chair, apparently about to faint. Lilian disdains her. Enter right upper entrance, Helen Brewster and Leonard Fillmore. She carries a parasol and a bunch of wild flowers. Leonard stays up by gate, Helen coming down.
4: Why, Mother, what's the matter? Are you ill?
0: Goes to Mrs. Brewster.
4: I have been insulted by that person there.
0: Indicating Lillian. Leonard looks at Lillian with a knowing smile.
1: Land, I ain't hurt her any. Just saying a few things to ease my mind. I guess she'll live through it.
0: Exit Lillianne to house with a toss of her head and an indignant sniff. Leonard Fillmore coming down to right center. You mustn't take Anne too seriously,
5: Mrs. Brewster. She's a privileged character around here, you know.
3: I should say she is. It's insufferable the way my sister permits that woman to domineer and make herself so offensive. I shall have her dismissed.
5: Hmm. Well, I'm inclined to think even you couldn't have that done, Mrs. Brewster. I'm sorry if she's been rude, and I'll speak to Miss Newcomb about it, but, well, I imagine it would be about as easy to dismiss the, uh, pump or the barn as Lily Ann. The farm wouldn't be complete without her. Mrs. Brewster, changing
0: the subject.
4: Helen, I should like to know where you have been all this time. We have been for a stroll, Mr. Fillmore and I. Are any of those letters for me? One.
0: Gives Helen letter.
5: I am afraid it was largely my fault. I believe I inveigled Miss Brewster into walking rather farther than she otherwise would have done. Indeed. The persuasive
3: powers of a promising young legal light. How interesting.
0: Helen, smiling.
4: Mother, promising. He has already quite arrived, you know. He was telling me of one of his cases. What was it, Mr. Fillmore? Defending a yokel whose cow is accused of infringing upon another man's property and destroying some cabbages?
5: Yes, quite as important as that. I think I shall win my case, too, after a hard judicial struggle. And when I do, I shall come and claim your congratulations. That steps. Now... If you will excuse me, I will look for Miss Newcombe. I have
0: a little business to transact.
5: And at the same time, I will speak to her about the offending
0: Anne. Exit Leonard to house with a show of good-natured dignity.
3: Helen, I believe he was half laughing at us.
0: Helen, who is reading her letter?
3: No doubt.
0: Mrs. Brewster, again seated, left.
3: And I should like to know what you mean by such a show of intimacy with him. A mere country lawyer. Taking a stroll with him and—
4: Oh, well, one has to have a little amusement in this forsaken place. Do let me entertain myself in some way. Besides, look what a reward I reaped, this beautiful bouquet.
0: Puts flowers in Mrs. Brewster's lap. Mrs. Brewster throwing flowers to ground.
4: And
3: what of me? I hope you don't think I stay here from choice. Surely it is better than shutting ourselves up in the city or going to some cheap boarding house, as we would have had to do. You know Bar Harbor and Newport were quite out of the question. Look at these. Bills, bills, bills. Threats, lawsuits. We dare not go back to New York for fear of our creditors. I don't know what is to become of us.
4: We can't stay and live on Aunt Sarah much longer, that's certain. It is becoming unbearable. If only we could have kept
3: up appearances one more season. You might have... Well,
4: something might have turned up.
0: Helen, she has gone up by gate, now comes down.
4: I suppose you mean I might have sold myself, or you might have sold me. Why not say it? I am in the market for the highest bidder. Even you were not beyond possibilities. Helen,
3: how can you say such things to me, your own mother? I'm
4: sure I have enough to bear without that. I guess I am about as desperate as you are, for it seems to be up to me. I... I don't
3: know why you need to put it in that vulgar way. But as you say, we cannot stay
4: here much longer. Look at these.
0: Showing bills.
4: If we go back to New York... There's Dick. If only he could do something.
3: Dick. You know how much good he is to me. I did hope, when he secured that position in the bank at forty dollars a week, that he might at least cease to be a worry to me. But no.
4: Nevertheless, he is still your son and my brother.
3: Much good such a son is to me. I have practically disowned him. You know it is nearly a year since we have even seen him. No, we must think of something more reliable than Dick, my dear. Now, there was... mm, Mr.
4: Deering, Yes, one of the likely bidders. Well, if it will be any satisfaction to you, this letter is from him. Helen! And does he? Yes, Mother. I believe you really have a chance to sell me at a very good price. Helen!
3: I refuse to listen to such talk. "'You know he is a gentleman. He is worth millions. "'You should consider yourself a very lucky girl.'
4: "'I suppose I am, so far as your idea of luck is concerned. "'But that man, old, gross, the very thought of him repels me.' "'Why,
3: Mr. Deering is not more than forty-five. "'Well, or eight or nine, perhaps. And think of all you could command as his wife.' But the question is, at present, how are we to manage to get back to New York, pay our bills, and keep up appearances until it can be brought about? I know of just one way. My sister.
4: What? Aunt Sarah, that simple, countrified old maid? Pray, what could she do? She could help us out of our
3: difficulties if she would. You may not know it, my dear, but... Sarah Newcomb is rich. At least, she must have a great deal of money. When our father died, Sarah and I came in for everything he had. He had run this farm for many years and his father had before him, and had made money which he invested and increased. When he made his will, I chose cash and in time received $10,000. Sarah kept the farm as her share and has rusticated here ever since. "'Well, I—well, I went to the city, met your father, married him, and entered upon the life that appealed to me. Your father's death left me well provided for, but—oh, well, it has vanished. Well, Sarah—her money must have accumulated and increased. So you see, my dear, she is
4: rich.' Well, I must say, it is the last thing I ever would have thought of. But even so, do you think you could manage it? Or her? It
3: would have to be carefully done, of course. By the way, that Mr. Fillmore is her legal adviser, I believe. He has charge of all her affairs. He'd know just how much she is worth, and she would accept his advice. Hmm. Perhaps, after all, you'd better be a bit nice to him
4: you want me to pump him, to exert an insidious influence, as it were? Oh, very well, leave it to me. He's rather too nice a fellow to be made a fool of, even if I can do it. But, as you say, something must be done. Anything is better than the poorhouse and oblivion.
3: And in the meantime, don't forget that it would be good policy to keep on the right side of all these people, to make as good an impression as possible."
4: Oh, yes, we may as well begin to do the thing upright, even if it is rather late in the day.
3: Helen, sometimes you shock me by your absolute vulgarity. Please do not use such expressions. We shall do nothing dishonorable.
4: I hope not. But I must say, the very idea is repellent to me. I wish it were well over.
0: Enter Lillian from house to porch, her hands rolled up in apron.
1: Say, Miss Newcomb wants to know what you think you'd like to have for supper. Or dinner, I suppose you'd
3: call it. It's very kind of you to consult us, isn't it, Helen? Can you think of anything you should like to have, dear? Well, of course, this
1: ain't no first-class hotel. We ain't got everything.
4: I'm sure anything Aunt Sarah is kind enough to provide will be most acceptable. Yes, of
1: course. Land, you're getting mighty unparticular all of a sudden, seems to me. Well, how would a good boiled dinner do you?
3: I'm afraid I don't know just what you mean.
1: Huh. I guess you know what a boiled dinner is, all right. You used to live here on the farm yourself till you went away to boarding school and got in with city folks and their high notions.
4: I guess you've had boiled dinners before now. Indeed. But I never lived on the farm, you know, Ann. So perhaps you will inform me just what a boiled dinner is. Something boiled, of course. Sure.
1: Cabbage, turnips, potatoes, and so forth. Boiled in with a nice hunk of salt pork, part lean. Mm. It just touches a spot with us, but... Well, Miss Newcomb ain't let me have one all summer, thinking it wouldn't be stylish enough for you. But I guess you'd manage to eat it. I am sure it sounds quite alluring. Well, it sounds good and filling, anyhow. Squash pie goes fine with it, and as I said to Miss Newcomb, if they don't like it, let em go without at any rate, it's what we're going to have, because I got it over.
0: Mrs. Brewster, as if unable to control herself, has gone up by gate, is looking off left. Helen shrugs her shoulders good-naturedly. Lilian goes to the door, meeting Leonard, who enters from house. He passes her and comes down to right-centre. Exit Lilian to house. Leonard, looking back at Lilian. I hope she hasn't been letting out again.
5: I've tried to get here in time to ward her off, but was talking to Miss Newcomb.
0: We
4: have been ordering our dinner, that's all. It's to be a boiled one. Quite a feast, I believe.
5: Yes, indeed. You have a treat in store. One of Lily Ann's boiled dinners and squash pie for dessert, I hope?
4: Yes, I believe that is to be a part of the banquet.
0: Going way up center?
4: Mother... Aren't you going to take a little nap in preparation for such a gastronomical...
0: Smiling to Leonard.
4: Is that a good word?
3: Feast? No, I napped quite sufficiently this afternoon, while you and Mr. Fillmore were taking a stroll and picking wildflowers, I believe.
0: Leonard has crossed to left, notices the flowers on ground, now glances rather ruefully at them.
3: I wish to go in and see Miss Newcomb. If you can spare me for a few moments.
4: Oh,
0: yes, certainly.
4: Perhaps we will go in the orchard for a little while. I just love those early red apples.
0: Mrs. Brewster, on steps, about to go in-house.
3: But, my dear, just before dinner. And such a dinner. Don't worry, only a nibble, you know. Very well. Then I will leave her in your care, Mr. Fillmore.
5: Thanks. Trust me. Helen,
0: going left.
4: Will you come? Ask me. I do. But beware, I might tempt you. With an apple, you know.
0: Oh, what a willing Adam am I. They are about to go out left. He surrenders to her mood. The poor
5: Adam had only an apple to tempt him, while I... I see a peach.
4: Oh, Mr. Fillmore, is that worthy of you? A lawyer, too.
0: Mrs. Brewster has stood on steps, or porch, watching them with a crafty smile. As they exeunt left, she turns and is about to go into house, but meets Sarah and comes back to centre. Enter Sarah Newcombe from house, down steps to right centre.
6: Oh, here you are, M. I was looking for you. Ann tells me you have ordered a boiled dinner. I hope your headache is better,
3: or I am afraid... It is, thank you. But I ordered nothing. It was entirely the maid's suggestion, I assure you. I simply thought it best to submit. She has pretty much her own way, it strikes me.
6: Well, I suppose she has. I guess I've let her have it so long there is no breaking her of it now. Len Fillmore has just been telling me she said something that offended you. You mustn't mind her, Em. I really couldn't get along without her, you know?
3: I'm willing to overlook a great deal, Sarah. But she actually had the presumption to insinuate that... Helen and I are imposing upon you by remaining here. As if you, my own dear sister...
0: (laughs) Wiping eyes pretending to be near tears.
5: The
6: idea? Why, you're welcome to stay here as long as you please. You know that. I feel honored to think it's good enough for you, after all your city grandeur and everything. Lilian just blurts things out. You mustn't pay
3: any attention to her, Em. Well, I'll try not to do so hereafter. But please don't call me Em, Sarah. It quite annoys me. Does it? Land, it never occurred to me. I can't seem to think of
6: Emmeline, somehow. You see, it sort of seems just the same to me as it did when we was girls here together, and we used to always call you Em in those days. My, but it's a long time since then, isn't it, Emmeline?
3: <sighs> Quite too long to mention, or even think about, I should
6: say. I don't see why. Taint no disgrace to be getting old as I can see. All the best people are doing it, you know. Besides, you ain't more than... Sarah, please. Oh, well, then I won't. But think how long it is since you were here that other time when Helen was about four years old and your boy was only a baby. Oh, what a cute little thing he was, your Dick, Emmeline. Why, he must be almost a man now, and a real joy to
3: you. A joy, my son. <laughs> Little you know him, or what he is to me. A trial, a tribulation. I might even say a disgrace. Sometimes I think it would have been better had he never been born. Why, Emmeline?
6: What do you mean? I've wondered why you never said much about him, why you never seemed to want to tell me. But Emmeline, your boy, little
3: dick, your own son, how can you say such a thing? Because it is true. Little has he ever considered me. He spends what he earns on riotous living in the company of persons who are called fast and who tempt him to misdeeds and forgetfulness of what is honest and upright. That is the kind of son I have, Sarah. My little Dick, as you call him. Dick? The baby boy I used to hold in these arms and cuddle up
6: to me and wish was mine? And then that summer you let him come here and stay with me when he was ten years old, because he wasn't very well, the summer that was like heaven to me because I had him, just like he was mine, my very own. Oh, how I loved him, and he learned to love me too. And then I had to give him up, let him go. Back to you who can say such things about him, that he's a trial and a tribulation." Oh, Emmeline, Emmeline Brewster, what kind of mother have you been if you have let him grow up to be that kind of man?
3: I dare say you think I am to blame. Little you know of such matters, of the world, of life.
6: Maybe I know more about some things than you think I do. At any rate, I know enough about the world and life to know what a real mother ought to be and that the right kind never would talk that way about her own son, no matter what he was or what he had done. Mother, you! You never was fit to be one. It wasn't in you. Forgive me, Em, but I'm going to speak the truth, if it does hurt. When you was a girl, it was all for dressing up and looking pretty with you, going away to boarding school and getting educated, as you called it. Well, you did! There in the real world you talk about and that you say I don't know or understand. Then I thank heaven I don't and I wish you didn't. A world that makes a woman so hard that she calls her own son a tribulation and a disgrace instead of the blessing
3: he ought to be to her. I refuse to listen to any more of your abuse. Even my own sister has no right to say such things to me.
0: She crosses to exit left but Sarah bars her way. She pauses.
6: I guess you'll have to listen, Emmeline, for I'm going to say what I've got to say. I've had it on my mind for some time, and I might as well let it out right now. I thought it was bad enough, the way you've let your girl grow up to be proud and vain, though I can see she has her soft side and might make a good woman if she had a chance. But when you talk that way about your boy about dick who was so sweet and cunning when he was a baby and such a manly little fellow when he was only ten years old why that's more than i can listen to and not say something oh emmeline why wasn't he my boy why was he given to you that doesn't care for him Instead of to me, who has wanted him and could have been a real mother to him, and loved and protected him, and helped him to be a good, true man, instead of what you say he is? It's me that has had the mother feeling in me all these years, instead of you, though I'm nothing but a poor little old maid with a soul that has starved for what you have neglected and thrown away.'
0: Mrs. Brewster has listened, at first disdainfully, even angrily, then in a gradually somewhat softened mood. She now shows some tenderness for her sister, though still obviously thinking of herself and her own advantage.
3: "'I I am sorry, Sarah. If you have missed what you think would have been your happiness—' My life has been one that you could not understand. You have no right to upbraid me. Perhaps you have fared better than I have, after all. You at least have a home to shelter you, enough to live in comfort, even luxury, if you wished, the remainder of your life. Well, I am at the end of my resources. Unless you help me, I see nothing but ruin, despair ahead. Why, Emmeline, what do you mean? I thought you had a grand home. Everything. We have been trying to keep up appearances, Helen and I. She has prospects of marrying a very rich man, if we can manage to go back and resume our accustomed way of living for another season at least. But unless you can help me, everything I have must go. House, furniture, all. A few thousand dollars, which I feel sure you can spare. A
6: few thousand dollars? Land, I never saw more than a twenty-dollar bill all at one time in my life, as I know of. It was you had the money after Father died. If you used it up and got in debt, why, it
3: seems to me that's your fault, not mine. Oh, Sarah, I didn't think you could be so hard. So you refused to help me? You would let me starve? Your own sister? Well, I guess you won't need to
6: do that as long as I have a home and plenty for you, too. But of course, if you are so poor and I'm what you call rich. Why, well, I'll speak to Len Fillmore about it. He knows how much I've got and everything. I always take his
3: advice. I should think you need not conform to the opinions of a mere country lawyer.
6: Well, Len may be a country lawyer, but he's a good one, and I reckon that's a few city ones he could give a few pointers to when it comes to that. You know, all the smart folks don't live in the city. I guess maybe it's so full it's run over and a few of them have to stay in the country. At any rate, it's Len Filmer I'll have a talk with, and maybe we can fix things up for you. Do you know, I've sort of thought I'd like to go to the city for a spell myself and see real life, as you call it. "'If Len thinks I can afford it, I might go home with you, "'set you on your feet and see a little style myself. "'Got a room you could spare me in that grand mansion of yours?'
3: "'Why, I hadn't thought of that. "'I hardly think you would care for our method of living, Sarah, dear. "'It is so different, you know, so, mm, so... "'You needn't get fidgety
6: about it, yet a while. "'I ain't begun to pack my trunk yet.' Now I'll have to go in the house and see how Lily Ann's getting along with that supper, or dinner, as you call it.
0: Going to write.
6: If you see Len Fillmore, you might tell him I want to see him before he goes home. Very well.
0: Sarah, on porch, about to enter house.
6: And, by the way, if you want that rich man you spoke about to have a chance, it's my opinion you'd better keep an eye on that daughter of yours and that plain country lawyer— Going to court, sort of in his line, you know, and they do say he's pretty good at pleading a case.
0: Exit Sarah to house. Mrs Brewster looks slightly alarmed, starts left as if to go and seek Helen and Leonard. Enter Aaron, left upper entrance, with milking pails. Aaron, coming down through gate.
2: Was you looking for anybody, Miss Brewster? No. Oh, thought maybe you was, and I was going to say, if twas your daughter and Len Fillmore, I seen em out in the orchard there, eating enough apples to give a a stomachache. Sittin' pretty close to each other, too, on the sun wall.
3: <sighs> I beg of you, spare me your plebeian observations.
2: Gosh, I didn't know I had any.
0: Such highfalutin fixings ain't in my line. He crosses to right puts pails on porch, comes back to right centre.
2: Say, ma'am, if you don't mind, I wish you'd tell me something. I'm getting kind of tired of this country life. I'd like to go to the city and do something. Think they'd any chance for a fellow like me down there?
3: Scarcely. Your place, evidently, is where you are.
2: Well, I don't know. Sometimes we country fellows fool you. Would you think it now to look at me that I got the makings of a first-class detective in me? Would you? No,
3: it is the last thing I should be willing to believe.
2: That's what I thought, but there is, yes, siree, ma'am, Miss Newcomb. She gets all them books about crimes and such, you know, detective stories. Sherlock Holmes, Ashton Kirk, and all them, and sometimes she lets me read them. They certainly do give a fella an insight into the way things are among you city folk. Must be a pretty hard luck, come right down to it.
0: Mrs Brewster, about to go out left.
3: <sighs> I have no desire to listen to your opinions. <sighs> I understand that Miss Newcomb is in the habit of reading those lurid romances. And I am much surprised that she should burden her mind with such sensational trash.
2: Oh, she just don'ts on them Says the biggest men read them Even Len Fillmore. He says they help him in his law business.
3: Indeed. I must say that is about the opinion I had of him and his legal ability.
0: Calling as she goes off left.
3: Helen! Helen! Where are you?
0: Exit Mrs. Brewster, left second exit. Aaron going to left, calling after her.
2: Better tell her and Lyn to stop eating them apples, cause Lily Ann says we're gonna have a board dinner, and they won't have room for it.
0: Aaron goes to right, takes pails, and is about to enter house when he turns, glances off left upper exit, stops, looks then sets down pails and goes up to gate, looking off left, with a show of interest. Hurries off left upper exit, and after a pause, re-enters, leading Dick Brewster by the arm. Dick is dusty, pale, and almost exhausted. Who be you? What do you want? Leads Dick left to seat. Dick sinks down. Aaron regards him suspiciously.
2: Why don't you speak? You sick?
7: No, only tired. About played out. I... I've walked a long distance, and I haven't had anything to eat since... since last night.
2: You ain't? Gosh, I should think you would be weak. Hm. Mm, you don't look just like a tramp.
7: Dick, with some spirit. I'm not. You needn't think I'm anything like that. I... Is this where Miss Newcomb lives?
2: Why, yes, this is her place. You don't want to see her, do you?
7: I want to know if Mrs. Brewster is here. Mrs. Brewster and... and Miss Brewster.
2: Oh, you know them, do you? Yes, they're right here. I should say they be. Have been since I don't know when. And it looks like they're gonna keep right on being.
7: I... I want to see Mrs. Brewster. Right away. Will you
0: tell her, please? Hmm?
2: Why, yes, I guess so.
0: Looks off left.
2: She's out in the orchard there with her daughter and Lem Fillmore. I see them coming now.
0: Dick, rising, almost tottering, starting to go right. I I don't want to see
7: anybody else. Just my... Just Mrs. Brewster. Or
0: Helen.
2: "'Well, then, you just come up here and wait a minute, and I'll see if I can fix it.'
0: Aaron assists Dick off-right beyond house, then returns.
2: "'Stay right there till I tell you.'
0: Enter Helen and Leonard, left second entrance. Helen, laughing, evidently forgetting herself for the moment, and acting with a natural manner of good humour.
4: I'm afraid we're in for it. At least I am, for a good scolding. I must have eaten at least half a dozen of those apples. It's all your fault.
5: Oh, say, come now. That's reversing scripture and will never do. The woman did tempt me, you know.
4: Nothing of the sort. It was the man who did the tempting this time.
5: All the better, since you yielded. I didn't know I had the power. Thanks for the compliment.
4: You might be welcome, had I intended to pay you one, but I didn't.
5: Alas, poor Adam, he's bound to get the worst of it. Thus does he have another fall, from the heights of expectation to the depths of despair.
4: My, what an ancient joke, going back to the first pair.
0: And the first apple.
4: Oh, worse and worse.
0: Enter Mrs. Brewster, left second entrance, crossing to right.
4: Helen, I'm going to my
3: room, and you'd better come, too. After your walk and such a feast of apples, I should think you would need a little rest and quiet before dinner.
4: Very well, Mother. I'll come right in.
0: Helen crosses to right. Leonard goes up center. And I think I'll say, good afternoon.
3: Uh, By the way, Mr. Fillmore, Miss Newcomb wished me to inform you that she would like to see you again for a moment before you leave.
0: Thanks. Then I'll wait. Exit Mrs. Brewster to house.
4: Yes, you'd better. You might get invited to stay and have some of that biled dinner, you know.
0: That's
5: so. Guess I had. Squash pie, too. Mmm. Garden of
0: Eden was nothing like this. Exit Helen to house, followed by Leonard. Enter Aaron, right. Looks about, then summons Dick, who enters and stands by fence, right centre.
2: You stay right here. I'll see if I can get her.
0: Dick stands leaning on fence, weak and showing some agitation. Aaron goes over by porch, looks in house, making motions.
2: She sees me.
0: She's coming. Aaron goes and helps Dick to center, partially concealing him as Helen enters.
4: Did you want me, Aaron?
2: Hmm, yes, Miss Brewster. There's somebody here wants to see you. It's...
0: Dick, disclosing himself.
7: Helen.
4: Dick! Dick, what are you doing here?
7: Where's Mother?
0: I... I want to see her. He totters. Helen goes and supports him.
4: But Dick, how did you happen to come here? We didn't expect you. You are ill. Is anything the matter?
7: Yes, lots is the matter.
0: I... I'm in trouble, Helen. He looks about, as if not wishing to speak before Aaron. Helen motions to Aaron, who nods and exits right beyond house, taking pails.
4: There, we are alone now. Tell me, Dick, what is it? What is the trouble?
0: She has assisted him to seat left. He sits. She stands by him, showing more surprise than tenderness, but is not wholly without sympathy. I've... run away.
4: Run away? But why? From what?
0: I
7: can't tell you now. I've got to have money, that's all. Plenty of it, to get away, out of the country. Where's Mother?
4: She couldn't help you any more than I can. What do you mean? What have you done?
7: Never mind that. There isn't time. I'm your brother, that's all, and her son, and you've got to help me. It's for your sake as well as for mine... I guess, if you don't want...
4: Oh, Dick, will you never learn to behave yourself? To be a man? Mother is almost desperate already, with ruin staring her in the face, and now, to have you come here in this condition, you, who ought to help her, instead of bringing disgrace upon her, you ought to be ashamed of yourself.
7: And so would you be, if you were any kind of a sister, instead of turning on me now when I'm facing...
0: Enter Sarah from house to porch. Dick sees her and shrinks down as if to hide. Who's that? I don't want to see... Helen, disclosing him.
4: Aunt Sarah, this is my brother.
0: Sarah, coming down, looking at Dick, at first uncomprehendingly, and then with gradual recognition and dawning tenderness.
6: You don't mean that? That it is Dick? Little Dick? Why, you, if you haven't grown up into a man. The last time I saw you, you were just a little fellow that was, it was 12 years ago, and you were only 10 years old, and now, why, you're sick, something is the matter.
0: Dick,
7: breaking down. Oh, I can't stand any more. I'm played out.
0: I can't go any further. He has tried to rise, but sinks back onto seat. Sarah goes to him, sits, puts arm about him affectionately.
6: Why, of course you can't. You needn't. You've got home, Dick. You've come right here where we've been waiting for you and are glad to see you.
7: Oh, you don't know. You don't know.
6: I hope Mother doesn't come. You go in the house and see that she doesn't. I'll talk to Dick and see if I can find out what's the matter.
0: Helen goes left to steps. Dick starts up, but sinks back as Sarah gently draws him down beside her. But I must see her. I want to tell her.
6: Maybe it would be just as well if you told me. I'm your Aunt Sarah, though you've sort of forgotten me, haven't you? But I haven't forgotten you, and I... I guess maybe it would be better if you told me about it first, then we'll see...
0: You'll help me to get away? Sarah, to Helen, who still stands left.
6: You go, Helen. He will be all right.
0: Exit Helen, left to house.
6: Now, Dick, tell me.
0: Oh, I can't. I can't.
7: I don't know what to do. They may be after me by this time. Who?
6: Who is after you?
7: The police. They may have found out by this time. I didn't do it. I didn't. But they will think I did. They'll find out I was there some way, and then, unless I can get away, where they can't find me. But tell me
6: about it. What was it? How did you happen to come here?
7: Why, I had heard Mother and Helen speak of you, and I remembered you too, about the summer I stayed here so long ago, and how good you were to me. And then I thought they, or you, could help me in some way. I didn't know where else to go. I've got to have money. She's my mother, if I haven't done just right. And she's got to help me. Where is she? I must see her.
6: Pretty soon, maybe. But tell me first, what do they think you have done?
7: It's murder. That's what they'll say. But I didn't do it. No, no, I didn't. It was somebody else. But they'll have it on me if they find out. I was there. I was found with the gun. I'm innocent. But they'd never believe it. I'll have to go away.
0: He starts up, as if to go. Sarah again detains him.
6: But how? Where was it? When?
7: Never mind, let me go. It may be too late. They may have followed me. Where can I go?
6: You can't go anywhere. You're in no condition. You'll have to stay right here till we can fix you up and decide what to do. What I want now is for you to tell me all about it. Just what happened what you had to do with it, and everything. And if it's possible, I'll help you.
7: You will? You'll give me money to get away?
6: I don't know about that, but I'll do just the best I can. You can trust me, Dick. Trust me with your very life.
7: It's worth a lot just to hear somebody talk like that. To know somebody believes in me a little bit and wants to help me. It's an old story, the way I've been made a fool of by a woman. But I loved her. Trusted her. I thought she was as good as she was beautiful. She thought I was a rich man's son. That was all she cared. And then, when she found out I was spending every cent I had just to buy her flowers and suppers, and... Then she tried to throw me over. That made me desperate, and one night, three nights ago, I insisted on going home with her. She tried to get rid of me but I went, and when we got there, she told me she had no more use for me, that I wasn't worth bothering with. Then I threatened her, I'll admit that, though I didn't really mean it. I only thought perhaps I could make her change her mind. Then another man came, a really rich one, I suppose, and she told me to get out. I wouldn't, so she made me go in another room, behind some curtains. She was afraid he'd be jealous, too. And when he came in, He suspected there was somebody else there, and they had a row. I stood looking through the curtains, watching them, and all of a sudden...
6: Yes, then, all of a sudden?
7: There was a shot, and Laura, Miss Navarre, fell, dead.
6: Dead? She was killed? But who, who did it?
7: Dick, not... No, you needn't think I did it. I didn't. I don't know who did. All I know is that I was alone there in that room behind those curtains and that it was dark in there so that I couldn't see. And I didn't hear anyone. But a hand reached over my shoulder there in the dark and fired that shot.
6: Did you see the hand?
7: No, but I felt something for an instant. It just seemed to touch my shoulder. That was all.
6: But there must have been somebody else there. In that room?
7: Yes, when I went in. But I didn't see anyone, as there was no light in there. They must have been waiting there all the time. For her.
6: And after... After that shot was fired, what did you do?
7: Why, at first I just stood there. For a minute. I was so frightened and dazed.
6: But that other man that was there with her, what did he do?
7: I just caught a glimpse of him. Kneeling down by her, he held her up a little. And just then, Miss Navarre's maid rushed in from the hall, came across and threw apart the curtains where I was, and there on the floor, just by my feet, was the gun. She picked it up, stared at me, and cried, "'You have killed her!'
6: "'And the men?'
7: I didn't notice. I don't remember. All I know is that the maid went to the telephone— to call up the police, I suppose, and before they could stop me, I rushed out and got away. Then I came here. It was all I could do, and... Oh, you don't think I did it? You don't believe I'm a murderer? You're my aunt, my mother's own sister. You won't let them hang me?
6: No, no, Dick. I want to believe you. I want to help you if you are innocent, and I can. You're the same as my own boy. I want to save you. (sighs) Look at me, Dick. Look me straight in the face and tell me, God seeing you and hearing every word you say, that you didn't kill that woman. You don't know who did. Can you do that, Dick?
0: Yes, I can. I do. He straightens up and, with a clear, candid expression, finding sudden courage and determination, looks her squarely in the eyes and, in slightly wavering but honest, convincing tones, speaks. I swear
7: to you, I didn't kill that woman. I don't know who did. As I hope for eternal salvation, so help me God. I am... innocent.
0: Sarah stands motionless for a moment, one hand on each of Dick's shoulders, looking searchingly into his eyes her face showing infinite tenderness and pity. His gaze never falters. After an eloquent pause, she suddenly clasps him in her arms, holding him closely. He buries his face against her shoulder, sobbing gently. Curtain End of Act One